It's the Tiltcast, episode 558, Fusrodam Moment. And this week, guys, we talk a whole lot of Baldur's Gate. Justin talks about his Starfield experiences, and we give you some tips and tricks. Stay tuned. And we're back. Oh, oh Woo! I missed the button. I missed it. It's been a minute since I've been working on my station here. It's the tilt, guys. We are back. It is uh, 12.47 p.m. on a Sunday, September 10th, 2023. It is 81 degrees outside. I am Nuss. I am Jason. I am Rusty. 67 degrees. It's an M-rated show, and with the three of us, you'll get about 30 minutes of bullshit. Bullshit. Some games, some news. We've, we haven't been around a lot the it's last month. pepperoni pizza. Right? No. No, well, we haven't been. More, more like the last couple of weeks. I mean, last month, we totally t- recorded like four episodes still, but. Yeah. 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 Uh, since then, Labor Day weekend has happened, and uh, Justin, my wife, and I, we all did a thing going to Rocklahoma. Oh, okay. Yeah, talk about that thing. Please, please don't stop at the in the middle of that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) man, Rock Rocklahoma was actually kind of awesome with the bands that were there. Yeah, and this um, is uh, you and your wife's first music festival, right? Well, not mine, but definitely my wife's outside of, like, uh, uh, people around here will remember Edgefest. Yeah, but that was 20-plus uh, years ago. Yeah, back in the early late 90s and early 2000s. And that was really, Edgefest was really, like, a two-day event, and it wasn't, like, a true festival where, like, you had camping or anything. It was literally just held in a park here in town, and gates opened at 10 a.m., gates closed at midnight, all-day concerts, basically. Yeah, uh, my wife had done that a couple of times, but like a true, true, like multi-day festival where there are people camping and stuff, she'd never done. So, yeah, and there's and a, this was, there's a lot of people at Rocklahoma. Tic- yeah, well, and I, we bought the tickets uh, for our anniversary. So this is like her long play anniversary gift that's been. Oh yeah, because that happened like out there. a few months ago, right? Back in April. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so we had a good time. Um, you know, the first couple days, there's, you know, there's always a few bands that you can that you can live without. Um, so like Friday, the first day, we weren't even out there till like five o'clock, like in the crowds. Um. The headliner on Friday was Godsmack, and damn, they put on a good show. Yeah. Um, One thing you're leaving out is how hot it was. So, oh, like, yeah, totally you, suffering all three days. You went Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I just went Sunday. I didn't camp. I just drove because it's 45 minutes away. And I went with the intent of drinking a little bit, 
right? Because I heard the prices weren't horrible on alcohol. And I just, I was just slamming water the entire time. It was so fucking hot. Well, Sunday turned out to be the hottest day. And that's saying something. Like, Um, they'd let you bring these little bags, like little clear backpacks in. And I had like my flip flops in my bag. Um, and then I had my, I call them my pit glasses in my bag, like old glasses that have been kicked in. And, uh, I was just throwing water bottles in my bag and then just drinking those. I was probably drinking one every 30 minutes, but thankfully like the water, they had a free water thing where it tasted kind of like water out of the hose. And then they had regular bottled water that was cold, which was only a dollar and you could use, I had my credit card attached to my wristband, so I would just go in there and buy like three or four at a time and stuff them in my bag just so I'd have something to drink. And Because the, the very first show I went to, I got so hot, like, I was starting to get delirious. I was like, oh my God, this is a mistake. I should have asked. I should have gotten water before I walked up here. Oh, uh, like, yeah. So just, Justin basically got there right before, uh, uh, right before filter started. And that was, yeah, that was interesting. But you guys camped, Um, like, did you get any sleep? Was it real loud? Like, what was the atmosphere like in the campground? So, it it really depended on where you were, right? So, um, you hear about the infamous, like, all-night parties, etc., um, well, figured out that those are like in the over way overly priced like VIP and glamping camp areas, and for some reason the ADA camping, a lot of parties happening in there. Um, <laughs> with with all the old and uh old folks and the folks with physical limitations they're racing wheelchairs got it uh yeah uh lots of drink in there um and of course like the the vip area there's like a it's a party until like 3 a.m in the morning luckily we were far enough away from that we didn't hear any of it except for you know when we were walking out after a headliner ended um yeah, so but the, our area was fairly fucking quiet. We actually slept pretty well. I mean, as well as you do in a camper. I mean, they're not exactly the most comfortable thing. Better than sleeping on the ground. Way better. But not as good as your own bed still. Like, yeah, and you know. just to give an idea, the VIP tickets are very expensive for Rocklahoma. Um, I'm actually trying to look it up, but what is the price on this? Too damned expensive. I think okay, VIP so, tickets, like early birds, start at like four grand, if I remember right. Let's see. So regular VIP is four fifty. For the weekend, there's seven seven eighty five. With reserved seats, eight hundred and eighty five. And the Rockstar package is $2,600. So these are people that rock out with their cock out 
probably literally. And, and that's and that's not including camping. It, right. Those packages, he said, uh, was just the admission. So if you added the VIP camping on top of that, it was like another two grand for the weekend. Yeesh. Yeah, it it nuts, man, nuts. But people shell out for it. Yeah, that was actually here. that's one of the low points of that festival for me is because I'm used to. If I can buy a general admission ticket, right, and there are standing area up front, I'm used to being able to go up front. They had this weird thing for the plebs. So for your first 500 feet, basically, or maybe it's not that far, your first 250 feet, there's a bunch of bleachers, right, like concrete bleachers with seats and a area up front. So like on the main stage. Not so on the, the side stages. But on the main stage, you have an area that's about 10 people deep, which is like a concrete area where people that have extremely expensive tickets, those top VIP tickets, can stand up front uh, for whatever main stage show there is. And then they have the seating behind that, which I think is the regular VIP. And that's like, what, like $800 tickets or $750 tickets. And that's for 250 yeah. feet. And then everybody else gets to watch from around that. Or you can go down this, like, death tunnel. And so there's this concrete tunnel that goes underneath a huge tower that houses a soundstage. And I guess, like, exclusive a deck way up on top that's, like, 150 feet in the air that I guess certain people can hang out up there. But anyways, this tunnel, you can go about five people wide all the way down, which goes for about 500 feet. And you can go in that tunnel, and for about two minutes, they'll put you up in front of the stage and then scoot you back to the back of the line in a group of about 20. And so I did that, trying to get a couple of shots up front. And the experience of that is unique in that I about blew my eardrums out um, because in the middle of a concert, when you're underground, you can't see anything. All you hear is the damn bass drum. Um, And it's just the walls are rattling in there. Like, my teeth were rattling. It was so loud. And so, I'm so pretty on deaf. A, on a on a scale of one to five, what was the difference between you going down the tunnel during Rob Zombie and going down the tunnel during Pantera? It was twice as loud. I'm not even joking. <laughs> um, I thought Rob Zombie would have been louder. No, I had a really unique experience. So um, I'm a Rob Zombie fan. In fact, I'm wearing a Rob Zombie hat right now um, that I bought at that show. Um, I went down there twice trying to get pictures, and honestly, I only got one savable, savable picture. And it's just because my phone camera with Zoom sucks. It looks fine at two inches tall. It looks fine. Um, it does not look fine zoomed in at all. And no amount of me cleaning up that picture, even with AI, just it started to look like a painting. So I was like, yeah, this is fucked. So I tried to go up there to take some pictures of Rob Zombie. And on my second go around, I went up there and it's in the middle of a living dead girl. And keep in mind, Rocklahoma is a pretty kind of a Woodstock type environment. I'd say not quite. Nobody's like fucking in the in the field, but like it's a pretty loose environment. Everybody is stripped down to the bare minimum because it's fucking hot. Right. Um, oh, there there were some chicks straight around just walking in thongs. Well, so speaking of which. Right. Some some girl that was easily 10 years younger than me, Living Dead Girl comes on, and Rob Zombie's like, you know, put your girls on your shoulders or whatever. 
and there's this girl on a thong behind me that's a little freakier than I like. And uh, she had a split tongue, and she licked my shoulder and asked me if she could get up on my shoulders. And I was just like, okay. And yes. So I did. Um, and that's to, how you got crabs. No, I did not. <laughs> um, I didn't say anything to her afterwards because I just got I got the weird vibe. Um, but, yeah, like uh, I put her on my shoulders, and when we got up there, I was like, yeah, I want to take some pictures now, so you're going to have to get off. So, like, I put her down and then took a few photos and ended up getting one decent photo because he was playing his ro- his white zombie stuff at that point. Because I got up there um, after Living Dead Girl, I want to say he started playing white zombie stuff. So there was more human than human, and I was still in line for that. And then I got to 1965 is when I finally got up there. Um, they let us stay for a second longer because he decided he wanted to talk and tell people to put down their phones. And it took, like, another two minutes of him talking before they launched into that song. So I got to hang out for a little bit longer while Rob talked to the crowd. But um, it's a unique experience, right? Like, when I got up there for Pantera, I did that once and decided I was going to go hang out with Jason a thousand feet away from the stage because it just about killed me. Um, And I got close enough to take... I thought I took more good pictures, but by the time I blew them up, I was... Realized I had one savable, two savable pictures, um, to my standards anyway. So, compared to everything else that I got where I didn't have to use crazy digital zoom to try to get close. But, like, we had a lot of fun. I mean, I got you and Crystal to get a little bit closer for Ginger than I think that you guys have been getting to. I, to so, here, here's the interesting thing, and this is why I stopped, uh, going to a ton of concerts and festivals is my um the older i've gotten the more my introvertedness and social anxiety has multiplied so uh you know i've not done a whole lot of concerts in recent years so i was i was saving all of that anxiety energy and everything else for ginger because obviously they're of all the bands uh that were that were there that this last weekend um the who and ginger are the were the ones I've really never seen in a concert setting before um so like the who we got to, uh, like we got fairly close, but we stayed at the very back edge of the crowd to stay out of all the crazy crowd surfing and everything. Um, but Ginger, I mean, we got we got pretty fucking close. Like we were four deep, uh, but far enough off the left side of the stage that uh, none of the crowd surfing came over top of us. So we were fairly safe in that regard. Yeah, I got up close and ran into some gal that was uh, somebody who recorded sets and posted them online. And I got up next to the barricade right next to her. And uh, unfortunately, it was also the spot that all the crowd surfers were being dropped off at. So for 80% of that set, I was behind a security guard who was waist high above me. Um, where I couldn't see anything. And when the crowd surfing stopped for just a second, that's when I got to snap a few picks. But honestly, those were my absolute best picks, like almost as good a quality as something I could have taken with my camera because I just caught the right poses. There are things that with my camera I could have done that I wouldn't have, 
I could have gotten much better pictures with my camera. But I was satisfied with the pictures that I got to the point that I'm probably going to print one of them. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I learned the lesson like the first day. Um, I actually tried taking my Nikon in, but there were two reasons why they wouldn't let me take it in. One, the camera bag, because it wasn't clear. And I'm like, I'm not taking my my thousand fucking dollar Nikon into a concert unprotected. Two, they labeled it a video recording device because it has that power. And so they wouldn't let, let me take it. So did they let you take it back to your campsite? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, that wasn't that wasn't that big of a thing. But I learned that lesson early on Friday and just in an attempt to take it in the rest of the week. I could have probably found a way to sneak it in, but then... Um, it really would just been the camera body and one of the lenses. And I really didn't walk, want to walk around without, without that having protection. I mean, cause you start walking in one of those crowds and anything could happen. I mean, I'm a big fucking guy and I got body moved quite a bit walking around the place. Well, you were wearing your kilt, right? I wore it. And he was times, yeah. he was wearing it so, when I met him. Him so and his sweaty here, nuts. Here, so here, here when you nuts to go. <laughs> so the kilt turned out the the utility kilt turned out to be a godsend, uh, because it was so fucking hot. Like you needed the breeze going up your legs. Uh, that shit was. Let, let me let me tell you, you you weren't out there for half an hour and you were soupy. Well, I'm just saying. I I really enjoyed the shower I got when I got home. To be honest with you, I was so hot. I wouldn't want to smell that place on Sunday. You could smell people. Trust me. Uh, like it was. I, I mean, Sunday it smelled like ass and weed. Yeah, it's uh, a we're like, a weed legal state. It's. It's not quite recreational at this point, but I'm pretty sure 90% of everybody has a card is uses it recreationally. And uh it uh it was just all over. Like <laughs> it's just no hiding it. Uh yeah. It yeah, it it was bad. Like there were like Saturday and Sunday by the time uh by the time you got to 6:37 uh, when a lot of the bigger bands uh, start being on side stage and main stage, like when you walked up the hill to the main stage and it was just haze. You just saw it hanging over the crowd. It, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Those, uh, those two days. It, it was a good experience, though. Like, overall, I had a lot of fun. I'm glad I just went for one day. I'm not going to camp. Um, I I am going to get a photo pass next time. Me and my buddy, yeah. Rick, the photographer, if you're curious, Rick Clement, without a C, R-I-K, um, he was able to sneak in a uh, – it's not a professional camera, but it's a snapshot camera with a built-in lens. And he's a good photographer, so he just made it's a twelve megapixel camera, but he just makes it work. And uh, well, I mean, it that's a, 
all so here here's the controversial thing pixels don't matter aperture size matters aperture and sensor size actually is what matters too and lenses make a difference yeah you're never gonna like i took decent pictures of my phone i've could have gotten some straight out fire shots with my camera oh yeah totally i got the right poses but I wouldn't you have had to play with it. You had to have been close to the stage to get awesome pictures. Like, well, to get the pictures, I could have gotten the pictures I got with my eighty-five from halfway in the crowd, honestly. Um, oh, but yeah. I would have been taking portrait shots with my eighty-five if I'd have gotten up there. But I'd have had to have been oh, a lot taller easily. to get the drummer. I there's no way I'd have gotten the drummer from the ground. And that's part of the reason I took some of the shots I did off of the side stage because I was like, man, there's no way of getting a really good shot of the drummer no Um, because he's like 12 feet in the air like that stage is already six feet up right and then everybody's on a riser he he's he's on a riser that's like a three foot riser in the back and i mean he was he was back there yeah i know Um, i i didn't have he was he was surrounded by lighting apparatus etc so it it was really kind of hard to see him but i gotta say other like ginger was one of the top three shows i saw all weekend i would have from the side stage like they were just tight that's what i'm saying like if i was going to talk about bands being tight they were the tightest band um and whoever was mixing them was also exceptionally tight but, oh, yeah, their sound engineer was fucking brilliant. It is it is hard to get your band to sound good outdoors. Yeah, because it just... But I will say... It just bounces everywhere. Say, yeah, I will say, like, the best four um, sounding concerts the entire weekend were Godsmack, Ginger, The Who, and Rob Zombie. In no particular order. Those were just the four best engineers, period. I would um, I wouldn't disagree. They were on it. Well, I didn't see uh, the first I didn't see the Who or, or Godsmack. You didn't see the Who or Godsmack, but I when I tell you it sounded almost exactly like I was listening to them on Spotify through my phone, it it was that good. Um <laughs> Needless on, Oh, go ahead. And then the you know, there were some bands that were just disappointing. Like, I don't care how many times you've seen Guar, like, they still do a show. But without the original guys left anymore, it's just kind of meh. Yeah. Um, I almost went to go see him, but I just, I'll be honest with you. I wanted to play video games that night, which is what I was doing. And we'll talk about that in a second. Because, yeah. and then, like, uh, uh, you know, there were bands like Bush and Filter there that, I mean, they did all right, but their sound engineering wasn't great. Yeah, Filter had the um, vocals turned too far down in the mix. Yeah, and same thing kind of happened with Bush, too. Um, you know, so just stuff like that. It was all enjoyable, but by far those were the four most enjoyable shows I saw all weekend. Um, Limp Biscuit was the headliner on Saturday, and it was all right. I'm not a huge fan of Limp Biscuit's music. He looks um, old as hell now. 
but Fred Durst looks like fucking Santa Claus up there wearing <laughs> an oversized fucking NFL t-shirt. Like, um, oh, he's in his fifties now. Beard, his beard is so fucking white that I could that I could see it like a football field away from the stage. <laughs> No shit, he walked out, and I went, and he wasn't even on the big fucking screen yet, and I turned to Crystal and went, that beard is fucking white. Like, it was out of sight, but they did a good job. <laughs> the one thing the one thing about Biscuit's concert was that was the one set the entire fucking weekend. He got through two songs, stopped everything, and went, all the booze is free. Budweiser is paying for it. Have fun. And I I think a lot of that. So apparently he's he's buddies with one one of the big executives over there. And I think he was kind of making up for the fact that he canceled on Rocklahoma last year at the last minute. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, they pulled out last minute last year. So they ended up being his set ended up his set on the main stage headlining ended up being replaced by the who and they brought in some other band to fill the who spot on that Saturday or Sunday. I don't remember which one it was. What a swap. Somebody else who was there told me about it. Um, and he said that ended up turning out great. Cause I'm not a huge fan of Limbiscuit and I love The Who, so I got to see them on the main stage and they did a fantastic job. Yeah, because they played uh, one of the side stages, right? Uh, this this time around, yeah, they were on one of the side stages. They were uh, they were a later side stage show, like not after dark, but right before dark. Uh, so it was kind of peak heat. So Crystal and I did we were more there listening than watching because I was blocking the sun with a giant-ass fucking, like, beach umbrella because it was so fucking oppressively hot. <laughs> yeah, and there's not, like, any place to go cool down. Like, you could go back to your car and turn on the AC. There's no places with AC, so, like, you're you're just hot the entire time, which is means, like, I don't understand the people getting trashed. Like, I can't even imagine the hangover on top of being dehydrated, like, literally, not even, you know, alcohol dehydrated, just dehydrated and then inebriating the fuck out of yourself. Like, I can't even understand that mentality at all. Like, I'm not even that hardcore. Um, maybe a, a long time ago I might have been. Not. I had the smarts right now to understand that I wanted to have some kind of day the next day, and I didn't want to die from dehydration, so I just... I drank I mean, my weight in water. I, I talked to several people who, um, like, went in there on after having dosed on LSD or shrooms before going in, and I was like, "How the fuck are you doing that and drink a beer out here? Like, you you're fucking crazy." Yeah, that sounds scary as hell. Um, like, but I mean, the show the show's really good in that way too like they have plenty of mobile medical units yeah like, i was i like was impressed every, per, every the, person i saw struggling it ended up having a medical unit at them like yeah there was they, a they take care of people out there it's not just it's not just a free-for-all where like somebody's gonna 
die. You know? Yeah, there was there was a guy that was clearly dehydrated in line in that tunnel, and um, one of the people right in front of me saw it and flagged down security, and like they pulled him out of line and was like, "You're you clearly need help." Like he tried to protest a little bit, and they're like, "We'll get you back, but you need to go get hydrated." Because he was just yeah. slumped over. I mean, there's so many people. There's no airflow down there. It was 90-something degrees outside at night with no airflow, and it was stuffy down there. And I was just like, fuck. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that tunnel had to feel like an oven. Oh, uh, yeah, it was. But we, we had fun. I, and needless. I will say, during, during Ginger's show, I felt bad for all, this, all the security people. I mean, there started being enough crowd surfers that they literally had security shoulder to shoulder all the way across the front of the stage and a couple deep into the crowd. Yeah, there was a couple of people that shouldn't have been people. crowd surfing. Like, if you're 400 pounds, you're expecting a lot. You're expecting a lot of the people around you. And there's a couple of Shit. big old boys that came over the top of me. Like, it took all my effort. And there was a couple of guys that got right over me and I was like, he's going to fall if I don't put all my might into this. And I, like, squatted and pushed up and, like, pushed him over the barricade because I was like, I'm not going to get landed on by somebody who's, like, 300, 400 pounds. Like, yeah, this couple I, of those guys could have squashed me. Shit, I'm around 260, and I consider myself too fucking big for that shit. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot, of push, lot of push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> and there, were, there were a couple of those bigger guys. Like, I swear, there was a dude in a uh, 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 set of, like, the, the scream robes with the hood. And he had like a skull mask on. Oh. Dude had dude had to have weighed like 300, 310, somewhere around there. And he somehow somebody got him on top of the fucking crowd. He ended up halfway into it, falling ass over tea kettle. Well, I would see Shit. the I'd see the guy stand up in front of me and then I'd immediately look back. And then sometimes you see people coming, you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to I'm gonna have to do another push-up. And then sometimes you see them rise, and then like a whale, like, just drop back down into the sea. And you're just like, yep, they were too big. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and the bad part is where that dude fell, there was like a group of three women and a couple fairly good-sized dudes, right? That's how, that's how the crowd surf ended up going over top of that there. He fell on two girls. Like, that that was scary, and then I saw all three of them stand up, and I was like, okay, they, they've they got to at least mostly be okay, or the adrenaline's hitting them. Well, but, I was glad yeah. to, I was glad <laughs> to wore my pit glasses, because there was one point where, just through all the chaos, right, like, my glasses fell off, and of course, they're my broken glasses. My hat fell off, and I happened to catch both of them, um, and like slam my glasses in my pocket real quick so I get my hands out again to push up whoever was over the top of me. And I can't see anything at that point. So like, I don't know, it's it chaotic, but it was really fun and really hot. Like I said, I was texting you hoping you'd look at your phone to throw me a water or something at some point. And you never looked at your damn phone. Like the one time, the entire time we're there, you don't look at your fucking phone. I text that's him like four was... times. Like Jason. That's pretty that's because I was too busy trying to get what picks I could, uh, which was fairly hard because, you know, people kept going over the top, blocking shots. Security kept having to stand. Um, and I mean, I got I legitimately got body checked a few times 
Um, but yeah, it, it was a struggle, but it was a good show. I really enjoyed it. And if you have ever seen one of their videos and asked yourself the question, can she really go from the, from a melodic note straight into the fucking growl on a fucking dime? Yeah, it's pretty uncanny, honestly. She did it mid-fucking-breath at one point. Like, she's fucking great. Yeah, and she is, uh, she's hotter in person, I'll say that. I, I told, I told Crystal after that I upgraded my celebrity crush. Um, but all that aside, um, we didn't die, so we didn't record last week. Um, we've got one in the tank yeah. that I'm uploading here soon. Um, from that's an actual podcast that actually talks about the game that we'll talk about here in a second. This week, I got through, a, and I beat Baldur's Gate, so I'll actually talk about that. And then a couple days ago, um, I went and got more tattoo work done. So this is an audio only podcast, but it's almost it's. Not quite one-to-one our soundboard because there's some things I changed about our soundboard on the design and kind of making it flow with my arm. But now I've got almost a half sleeve going. I I got through I got through more work this time than I did last time. Like you can't really tell. You guys can probably tell, but it kind of wraps around my arm. Yep, love it. And uh, it, I'm it, putting some you, like you've got about two thirds of your lower arm covered at the moment. Yeah. And then the the part in the middle um, and blending into that, we're using. So I was originally going to, I thought about using the soundproofing we have in here, but it's not really recognizable if you don't know what soundproofing is. And I thought about doing egg uh, egg crate stuff to require a lot of stippling, which is like the little dot work, which is fine. And then he came up with another idea of using like the, uh, those textured sound, sound padding that kind of looks like little diamonds. So he's going to use that and put it at an angle to fill in all the negative space in between. And so when I go in later next month, um, that's what he's going to do out to finish this part of my sleeve. And we're going to use that to connect to the top part of my arm where we haven't figured out if we're doing a, either doing a microphone schematic. We've been using these Sennheiser mics for, or these Audio-Technica mics forever. So I'm either using a, a uh, schematic of that or a microphone. Or a camera schematic, we're not sure yet, but we're going to connect all that together at the top of my arm. So we've been been working on this now for the better part of a year. I will tell you, my wrist was not bad. There's a part around my elbow that was bad. Um, and I was under the, under the gun literally for four and a half hours on Friday. And I can tell you, like, get after about hour three and a half, I was starting to feel just completely numb from all the tattooing going on all damn day and like i had to lay at a weird angle so i had to lay on my stomach with my arm kind of back out like you know at an angle so he could work on it and uh being in that position for that long i only got up twice and you know he kept me laughing the whole time but there was a few times i was just like i think my pain tolerance is getting reached here like this is a lot of tattoo work and i've been on like when we were finally done i was just like Ah, <laughs> it's just—it's a—it's uh, it's like a rite of passage. Like I'm glad to have done it. I'm glad I was done. Um, but yeah, now the middle work's all going to be t- really tender areas too. Like it's going to be the inner side of my elbow, which is—I know it's going to suck. 
but we're going to fill that in. And then my wrist wasn't, I thought my wrist would be a lot worse. So my wrist wasn't bad at all. Um, a lot of it is just the uh, shading, the constant use of a needle that's like half an inch wide over and over and over again, all over my arm. And then you don't realize how many knobs are on our board. There's a lot of knobs that he was drawing. <laughs> a lot of knobs, a whole lot of knobs. There is a lot of knobs. There's a lot of knobbing going on. That was, that, that's a lot of work all at once. And I was, I was pretty impressed. It's actually, it looks pretty good. Um, but yeah, it connects really good in it with my other piece. The crap part about it is I can only see part of it without looking in a mirror or looking in the camera. Like the coolest part of it's on the outside of my arm that mm. I can't see very well. If you think about it, like look on the outside of your forearm, it's kind of hard to see. It is kind of hard to see. Here I am trying to lick my elbow. Uh. <laughs> but um, that aside, um, I'll give a full review to the what I would consider the game of the year without spoiling anything. Um, right. Baldur's Gate 3 is game of the year. There's there's it's nothing no that's going to touch question, it. question, man. There's, no question. It's... Yeah. The, it, war, the warts of that game... Out is the pacing's a little bit weird and it's a little bit tedious at times with some of the inventory management. Um, That's a Larian problem. Because there's just so many things. There's a lot of, a lot of items I have no use for that, or I just haven't discovered a use for. Like I know that I can use the iron bars and all that shit at some place, but I never had the patience to go and figure that out um, because I continue to get really good drops for stuff. Right. Mm hmm. The world is amazingly well-realized. The story falls flat in a couple of places. Even at the end, I was pretty satisfied. At the end, I actually kind of fucking cried, I'm going to be honest. Um, like, the ending of the story was done quite well. I got done. Um, we've talked about her a lot. Carlac had, I guess, some issues at the ending. The day that they fixed that in the patches, the day that I beat Baldur's Gate, which was Wednesday last week. Um, so I waited for the patch to download and then basically beat the game. Like once you get to the point of no return for the end of the game, it takes about two and a half hours. Yeah, about three hours, two and a half, three hours. Once you get to the point of no return at the very, very end, um, it'll ask you kind of like, are you sure? Sure. Like you get a point where you're, it's like, are you sure? And that's a point of no return. But you can, you know, you can save at any point, right? And then at the point where it says, are you sure, sure, this is the very end, it's like three hours till you see credits. Um, there's, oh, a lot wow. of, there's a lot of cutscene at the end. Um, the cutscenes are done fantastically well. Um, the, they mo-capped everybody, um, everybody that has any kind of speaking part. Um, I do like the fact that you can't just select every single dialogue option in every conversation. It's more conversationally. I know, obviously, it's simulated, but... It feels a lot more true to life with role-playing, the way that they did the conversation system in that game. Mm -hmm. um, the way that all the different elements interact is a Larian thing, but they use that in Baldur's Gate as well. I appreciate this time-based or the turn-based combat over the stop-action combat that old Baldur's Gate is, where you just pause and queue up actions and then let it go, right. almost like an RTS. Um, it's incredibly satisfying to play. Um, Baldur's Gate, the city is a little bit of a slog and I would say like being hypercritical of a game that I obviously like a lot, 
I feel like the threads are tied together a little bit more loosely with the Baldur's Gate portion of the game. So it's three acts, just, you know, not minor spoiler, right? Got act one, you've got act two that's in a certain place, and then act three is in the namesake, right? It's in Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate's huge. Um, easily about 40 hours of content in just Baldur's Gate. But you kind of have to hunt for the different stories, which means interacting with a lot of NPCs. Um, nothing kind of just flags you down and says, hey, you should talk to this person. Which if I was going to improve that game, I like there's an argument to be made that it's more immersive to just talk to people and find stories that way to pursue. Um, but it is a point in Starfield's favor that I'll talk about later that they do a different thing in order to kind of rope you into some of these quests. So with with Baldur's Gate 3, though, um, the game is very well polished, very few bugs, um, a little bit of goofiness. Overall, um, I do like that you can just straight up win fights by pushing people off ledges if you got somebody strong enough. Yes. Um, but you miss out on loot sometimes doing that. Um there's a lot of vendor trash to sell. It's, but it's like all in all, it's, it is the best CRPG I've ever played. Again, it's a game with some faults, right? I won't pretend that it's a faultless. I don't know that I've played a faultless game, right? Right. But it, when you're talking about like game of a generation kind of thing, like this is a game of a generation kind of thing. It, it brought CP CRPGs really back to life. Not that Wasteland 3 didn't start doing that, right? Um, not that Pillars of Eternity didn't start to do that, but like this is one that's ex received such mainstream success that it's put this type of game on the map with a lot of people that don't normally play this kind of RPG. And for them, it's a breath of fresh air. For us, especially for me, who's played a lot of these type of games, um, there are parts of it that are refreshing, but it's also a whole lot of the old that really works. Um that being said, like if I was going to put a score on this game, guys, it's a four nine. Like it's so good. It, it's so, so good. good. Um I'm not even, I'm not even close to finishing it, I don't think. It's it's an incredible experience. And I don't uh, Jason, you're you finally got into act two, right? Yep. It's it's everything you said, and I actually um I I really agree with you on the 4.9. It is so tight that some of the quote things with with individual companion quests that they're quote patching right now. Um I mean, I kind of expect they put so much into this game from the get-go. Um that you know it would be impossible for it to be 100% perfect. But the fact that it was 90 to 95% of the way there at launch with no major game breaking bugs or needing a one and a half gig patch to make the game run properly, etc. Um, and to be honest, the story as it was already before before the last patch uh seemed fine to me sure is it still somewhat on 
on rails do 100 percent of your choices matter no no but, but compared to be incredibly the amount of difficulty that there there would be in trying to make 100 percent of your choices matter is impossible to reach there the like, there the are there are so many conversations and choices in this game that there's no way you can make all of them impactful to the to the ending of the game it's it does the best job of choice and consequence that i've ever seen in a game um just the how far out the threads stretch even from like choosing to save or not to save people right the types of companions you get like there's a person that I accidentally let die on one of the main fights in Act Two, and if I had not, if I'd have been able to save that person because you can't res an NPC, if I'd have been able to keep them from dying in that main fight, that would have been somebody I could have taken on with me over into Chapter Three as a companion. And had I had that companion, I would have been able to unlock an additional companion. Like, there's that kind of stuff. There's a pretty big choice in the early game. Um, where you can get either one character or another. Basically, and it's a very binary choice, right? If you play the good guy approach, the paragon approach, then you'll get one companion. If you play the renegade, renegade approach in the first big bane story beat, then you'll get a different companion. You can't have both companions. Um, but it's just stuff like that, like all the all those little interconnected pieces. Like there's a quest with... um. I feel like everybody's played this far. There's a place, if you're interested, if you, uh, there's a decision you can make with the hag. There's like one of three main consequences that you can have based on how you handle the hag situation. And some of that actually follows you into uh, Act 3, mm -hmm. um, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And in well, Act 3, or, it actually even gets more interesting, to be honest with you. Yeah. Or even... You know, there is a uh, there is a conversation that you can have in Act One uh, with a Tiefling very early on. Uh, that if you convince him what whether to stay or agree that he should go, um, can determine whether or not he's uh, part of part of a fight fairly early Act Two. It, um, it does a so you yeah, remember Mass there, Effect how there's all kinds of stuff like that. So you remember with they did something similar to what Mass Effect did. So if you remember Mass Effect one, two, and three, right? All of those decisions kind of led towards the ending, and a lot of people bitched about the slideshow ending, right? But like your galactic readiness, you remember the galactic readiness based on the decisions and the people that you encountered. There's In essentially three, yeah. there's essentially a similar concept with Baldur's Gate, depending on who you interact with kind of builds into the final outcome and I'll, I'll i won't say any more than that but a lot of these little stories play a part into that and are actually part of the epilogue too to kind of like show you what the culmination of your of your choices were i think if i play it again though i'll probably play like a chaotic neutral kind of character next time just to see what's different and i'm not going to play a spellcaster because i just fucking wrecked I wrecked the whole game. I broke it. I could have played that on Tactician. The the final fight with me, like all the all the major boss fights, I was ending in like four turns with my spellcaster. Like I just went way overkill. 
with uh, the build that I had uh, with my sorcerer. And there's the a same way with my paladin. He's got a to put it in perspective. Anybody playing Baldur's Gate will know like how ridiculous this is. Um, you can be a storm cleric and a storm caster at the same time and fire an elemental orb at level six. An elemental orb at level six gets a an additional buff, so I can do twin spells, which is one of your extra abilities. Gives you two casts of the same thing in one turn. And then I can make it crit for max damage. So I can make it hit for max damage and then crit. So the max damage plus the crit on that, plus the stats that I had on that character at level 12, literally doing almost 400 damage per hit <laughs> twice. And... Which means that I can, I can't hit one character with that, but I can knock out like the support character and one of those main characters, knock them real low with one cast. And then again, I can do twin casting next time I have them, or I can have the rest of my team mop them up, or I can have my fighter who gets like 17,000 hits, like go in there and clean up the rest <laughs> of the job. Like the fighter is super overpowered and underutilized, I think. Like I did not realize you get so many extra attacks with the fighter. Yes, action surge, man. Action surge. Action surge. Uh, and uh, the fighter is ridiculous. Um, even more than the barbarian. Like, the barbarian does pretty good, but damn, the fighter, the single target damage of the fighter is unreal. Um, it's just getting him up into the fray. And the barbarian, I think, does pretty good at mop up. But yeah, sorcerer plus fighter. My God. Um, I barely ever had Gale in my party because he was a wizard, but he. I didn't have him built the same way as my sorcerer. My sorcerer just cleaned house. Sorcerers are, yeah. Sorcerers are better in in all the nice little extra shit that you can do with uh, with the spells, like the twin casts and whatnot. Wizards it's, are basically like, their biggest thing is they don't necessarily have to really pick their spells because wizards can learn, uh, learn from... Uh, from scrolls. Yeah, Gale's like spell catalog is unreal. Yeah. Uh, he's a so, more of a utility caster. Like, so you think about the wizard as a utility caster because you can put all the CC abilities on them. Mm -hmm. Like, if I had him in my party, I was using him for silence, but also since my character was also cleric and because Shadowheart is also a cleric, if I had him in my party, we had three silences. So, like, if you got a boss that's like just wrecking your face, like, silence. And then go to town. And then, you know, the cleric silence bubble is actually pretty powerful. It's pretty big, too. Yeah. Like so three big silence bubbles, and they last for 100 turns. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you've got both my Shadowheart and my Sorcerer had the wet spell. So I was just laying down a cloud of wet and either freezing or electrifying everybody with, the, with my Sorcerer. Yeah. Because he was a Stormcaster. So, like, you know. Didn't really use a whole lot of spells, but like the spells I did end up, I used a lot of electricity spells. He's basically Emperor Palpatine. Um, but yeah, like it was, uh, it was, by the end of the game, it was so easy for me to get through the hard fights. Like I didn't feel challenged at all. That would be one of my other gripes is like normal was too easy for me at a certain point. Um, I needed more challenge. There was a couple of pretty challenging fights. Um, one of the story in quests for one of my NPCs was particularly challenging because of the mechanic of it. And that was the deal, is there was a certain mechanic to it. And in some fights there is. Uh, there's a... won't say what it is, but there is a fight in a uh, forge 
that is can be particularly difficult because of the mechanics for that fight. Um, but also can be particularly easy once you kind of get the hang of it. That's probably like a an hour and a half learning curve for me, and then a couple of the other ones were like an hour and a half learning curve. But honestly, like in most cases, I was able to mop up everything easier than I needed to. And I will be playing on a much harder difficulty next time just because I kind of mopped the floor with that game. Tactician just requires you to basically use up all of your uh, uh, your consumables, you know, and slow play some fights which is you know. what i want to do like i had so many i probably had 150 potions on me at the end of the game just wasn't using them because i had i had two people healing all the time i just didn't need oh. it and then short rest and long rest i wasn't i'm i stopped taking shadow heart with me to in, you know increase the difficulty so i don't have a character that's just constantly healing I was just um, using my free action with her to heal. Like, she actually right. was my, uh, I played her kind of like a paladin. So I decked her out. She had some gloves that maxed out her dexterity, which meant that she got it. She also got a dex bonus on her armor. So at the dexterity of 22 with her armor, her armor class was 27. So she could just stand in the middle of things. And then you cast the angel spell, which is a rotating AOE. So then she effectively kind of turns into a paladin. Mm -hmm. um, and then supports and does some damage spells. I had Sunbeam on her too, which was incredibly powerful for a straight line shot, mm -hmm. um, which also blinds, which is great. Um, she wasn't my biggest damage dealer, but like when I get crowds of enemies, I just cast that AOE and just put her in the, a spot where everybody had to go through. And she had a lot of, I don't remember how I spec'd it, but basically she had a lot of perks towards not losing concentration. Like, even right. we get knocked down, and she's still got shit orbiting around her. Um, <laughs> and all the light spells are really powerful versus a lot of the minions, because there's a lot of undead or demons or whatever. Um, one of the hardest fights in the, ba the band in the game um, also deals with a character you meet pretty early on, um, which I won't spoil that. But, yeah, there's a cup. The hardest boss fights in the game are not the end boss. Um, no, it's the, uh, character specific bosses or encounters for your companions that I think are harder. And, uh, one key, uh, NPC that you run into pretty early on that the name that starts with an R. So, uh, uh, yes. Okay. Um, if you choose to fight said NPC, uh, it is, that's a challenge. I, uh, yeah, I just completed that quest last night. Um, so. Yeah, it took me a while to figure that one out, but once I got it down, I was like, all right, I'm going to have to... Four with them. Yeah, well, no, I just pulled all the seals off, like, let's just fight like I've got nothing left to lose, and that was the only mm -hmm. way I beat it. Sweet. That on Tactician will be hard. Yeah, that that on Tactician will definitely be hard. But yeah, my experience with the fucking game has been, you know, has been... I've been sucked into it. Like, this, this game is, like, the best book ever. <laughs> um it, it really does kind of like sit, you sit down and uh you know it it feels you know quite like a fully fledged campaign like that is one of the uh one of the biggest draws for me is that it's you know fully fledged you know a fully fledged campaign for, you know for sure act one and act two uh seem like all the dm notes were you know squared away and act three kind of feels like oh shit i've got to put this together um 
you know, it still technically works, but it it has. Um, so you you made it, it to has Act Three. Pointer flaws. Yeah, yeah, I did make it to Act Three. Yeah, that's that's um, that's why it's not a perfect game to me. Is just the story kind of just kind of has to be like they're like, oh shit, we've got to resolve some things, and uh, it's not half baked, but the quality drops in certain aspects of the story. For as they kind of ram you into some final scenarios with certain things, right? It's it's not that the story itself is bad. Like there, you know, all of the uh, all of the tie-ins in uh, in Act Three have been you know pretty freaking uh, fantastic. What really sucks about it is everything going from Act One and Act Two felt like it had a natural flow, where you know, Act Three, it almost kind of feels like chaos. You have to, you know, you have to kind of figure out where you're going, which isn't hard per se. But I imagine that most people who miss shit are going to miss it in Act Three. Yeah, because, because and there's some stuff that's timed in there too um, that I didn't realize. So um, there's a there is a uh, quest that deals with the. Uh, the Baldur's Gate Gazette that will uh, yep. time out on you pretty quickly, and that was one that I safe scummed on after I realized it happened. Yep, uh, definitely, um, definitely if, safe scummed on that one too. I, I did figure a way to actually complete it, uh, so yeah. I got the good portion of that. Save um, your invisibility push potions till the end of the uh, end of the game. Oh yeah, never use your invisibility potions. Right, and you place can still use it at the end of the game. Yeah, for you sure. can you can uh for a lot of the puzzles like playing stuff in turn based is another thing that's really helpful because you can really min max your approach to something to you know work with the timers of whatever buffs you're working with. Mhm. Mm yep. Uh and I think that there was uh there was a thing um that I did that may have gotten me a uh, a a companion that I don't think everybody is going to be able to get. You can text me on the side, but I think that plays into a part of Act Two. Okay, I think it was, uh, and uh, I'll I'll let you know. But uh, there was uh, there was a, <laughs> we can talk a about series it on break. of events. There was a series of events that I had done. And I got an extremely lucky critical success on one of my uh, uh, conversation things that, you know, when when you see a conversation thing and it says you have to roll a 30 to succeed. And, you know, you're rolling a D20, so you have to have all of these extra bonuses and you have to roll really fucking high. Well, if you roll a natural 20, it automatically succeed. Well, I roll a natural 20 on this particular, you know, thing. So I don't think <laughs> it was written in so that you could actually succeed, but most people won't. Yeah, the there's a I would say too as a tip to let things play out mostly naturally. Yes. I would say don't save scum the conversations. Just let them play out because I think it's a little bit more interesting. But I would say save scum sometimes in the fights because sometimes you're not ready for a fight. And it doesn't – it auto saves like every 20 minutes or something like that. 
Um, I don't even know when it auto saves. It's not real it consistent. Autosaves. The auto save happens based on a location in the, uh, you know. So if you're going coming up on a you know, a, a large portion of uh, fighting or a major story point, it'll auto save right before that. Yeah, but there's been a couple of times that it set me back thirty minutes. So I got a little bit better about quick saving after certain F5 things. F five is your friend. Yeah, so like if I saw an area or I was pretty sure I was about to get in a fight, I'd autosave. But like when I was going to go have a conversation, I would save before the conversation. So like if that led to a fight or something, I have kind of a I can start over. But I wasn't save scumming the conversations. It's just sometimes that leads to other things or, you know, I was playing even before work. So like I'd have to be at work by eight in the morning and my cutoff point was about 745. And if I was at 745, I didn't want to be late for work. I was like, all right, well, I had already saved, so I'm just going to, I'm going to exit. Um, and then that way I can pick up where I left off. So, um, because some of the conversations are pretty long, but as a whole, um, I don't think anything else is releasing this year this good. Mm. I don't, I don't know that anything can, like, I'm pretty objective. I, I do like Starfield pretty good, but it's not the same. I haven't even been able to touch Starfield or Armored Core. I I am so so addicted to you know trying to finish Baldur's Gate three that it's it yeah I, that I completely go offline apparently. <laughs> yeah, um, wrong button. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been a been attached to uh to the idea of oh, just you know, just another few hours to Baldur's Gate three, and that just that does not seem to be the thing. Yeah, I no, and that, that twenty hours ago. <laughs> yeah, that that happened to me. There was many. I would say for the better part of August, I was sleeping five hours a night. Um, I did. I th- I don't think I think I ended up beating the game at around. 103 to 104 hours. Um, and I don't, I think I probably could have checked a little harder on a couple of places like Baldur's Gate, the city. I think if I'd have talked to any, every single NPC, I'd have probably found some stories that I missed. But um, that was the only real issue I had with that is some of the stories are just hidden behind a lot of conversation. And uh, I liked most of the conversation, but there's so many people you can interact with in Baldur's Gate that it's like overwhelming. And I was just like, Ugh. same thing with my inventory that got overwhelming. I uh, I have a whole junk stash at my camp that's you know nine million pounds of bullshit that I shouldn't have been looting every single. Well, I mean, you can sell stuff. See, there I go again, right? Like, right, you can sell stuff, and. I think it, you know, like I got to the point where I was like long resting so I could sell more junk because I had so much junk on me because I picked up every single thing that fell on the floor. Like I, I was just pack muling like crazy, like every single character at one point in my, you know, and like in my, like Every time I go through a place, I'd load up every single NPC. So I would say I spent twenty hours managing my inventory with Baldur's Gate. Like uh, that's that's something that could have been fixed. Um, well, so there is a solution to that, and 
inside the game that I don't know if a lot of players found or not. In Act 1, when you're in the Arcane Tower in the Underdark... Yeah, you can use that, but you don't know what's inside the box. No, you do. So you take the box. When you put items into the box, it turns it into like a plate or a fork or spoon, you know, some sort of dinnerware, right? When you transfer the item back out of the box into your general inventory, it turns back into the original item. I found bugs with that with some of my, like, epic items, essentially, turning into regular items, so I stopped doing it. Ah. And also, <laughs> I didn't know what was in my, I didn't know it was in my box. I didn't know it was in my box. I, and so, like, I would have, you know, it lists all the dinnerware that's in it. It's it's like a bag of holding, basically, right, that weighs 20 pounds. And every time I wanted to sell stuff, which meant I had to, like, overload my character to a ridiculous degree right because i put everything in it i'd you know travel around yeah. for four hours throwing everything into the box of holding essentially and then you unload the whole thing into your bag and then your bag just turns to this big chaotic mess and even after sorting you're like holy fuck and i lost a couple of items maybe just due to sorting or whatever but like i just got really fucking yeah. sick of it which gotcha. <laughs> i just so chucked it and I've put it out of base the, i've not used it for equipment or weapons, I've used it for the camp supplies. Because oh, you can, you can, you send can a, build up a good amount of weight for just in camping supplies, right? Well, you can send so, all of that stuff back to your infinite box from your inventory, no matter where you're at in the world. Uh, that's true, too. And I did that with all my camping supplies. It always say you don't have enough camping supplies. And then, of course, I've got like four tons of food at my house. Um, but like now that you've gone through your first playthrough, if you ever play through again, or like if all three of us play through together, there is a mod for a bag of holding that we could install yeah. to make that easier. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah. Ag again, like these are RPG problems right? that don't take away too much for the enjoyment of the game. Again, I'm very solidly in the four nine camp and I enjoyed the time that I put into that game. Like I just... I consumed that game at a rate that I I haven't done with – and I would have gotten done sooner. We had, you know, a week and a half that we played a lot of multiplayer in August. I'd have been done earlier. Um, but I – it is a master class RPG. Um, it is – it's one of the best that I've ever played. Um, and I can't say enough good things about it. Like, I don't even know what's coming out this year that's going to even give it a run for its money. There isn't anything. This is This is it. And it's already like, it's already the top reviewed PlayStation game of all time at this point. It's, it's, it's there's so... a, there's a little bit of it that's hyperbolic too. I think a lot of people, I'm just going to say this just to be honest for a second, not detracting away from my score. Four nine is like super high. Like that would be a 95, right? Right. Um, there is a lot of people that like the fact that an indie developer did this, Right. A double A studio went to a triple A studio basically with this game. And it's a studio of like 400 people. There's not any microtransactions, right? There's, um, they essentially released a feature complete game and did it with a delayed release in order to get it as close to perfect as they could for launch. And so I think that right there is like extra points, like brownie points with a lot of people. 
in the wake of a lot of EA releases in the wake of Diablo season, like fucking up a lot of builds and kind of pissing people off. Cause like we all like Diablo, but the season stuff kind of dampened it for me. And I'm going to wait until later before I fire that back up. Like I like Diablo. Like we've been playing a fuckload of Diablo. Don't get me like, wrong. Diablo is easily in the top five, but yeah. it's they a kind of broke it with that big ass fucking patch for yeah. the season. Yeah. And it's, it's the best Diablo they've released. Like, don't get me wrong. I really like that game. And I'm not, I'm at an age right now where I can get past the, uh, the weird infighting for perfect games that people have. Or, and I think part of it too is I have adult money now. So, like, it's not the only game I'm going to get, right? And then I'll just move on to a different game while they work on that and go back to it. Um, I used to, when we first started this, I did not have adult money. Um, I barely had enough money to scrape by. Um, and so, Every game I got was an investment, and I'd look at it as such. And every little fault that was part of a game had a bigger measure of weight to me than they do nowadays. Mm -hmm. And so I overlook things that, say, your teenage kid that's playing a game that had to mow five lawns to purchase said game, right? Or had to work, like, three days of chores to get money to buy a game. Um, looks at it quite a bit differently than I do because to me it's, you know, an expensive meal. So it's right. It you're, I think in that regard, right. When you get away from the hyperbolic internet, it's an indie darling that ended up being really good. That had a lot of things in its favor and they did a really good job. And that's all I say. It's a four, it's a easy four, nine game for me or an easy 95 Metacritic score. If you want to use our score into that it's a it's a fantastic game and one of the best games i've played yeah, but but i do want to move on yeah. you had something to say rusty no no that's fine that's, that's cool i mean you pretty much covered it i want to talk a little bit so i, I haven't gotten any further in armor core not to say armor core is bad <laughs> at all um armor core is the most challenging game i've played this year it's a very difficult game um it's also a very good game Gotten to chapter three. I will play more Armored Core. Um, a game I've been looking forward to for the last couple of years easily has been Starfield. Um, and yes, you can call me a well if you want. I spent all of $30 playing it early for a week. Um, but I got Starfield early access Thursday of last week um, when it came out. And since last week, I have sunk three days and 14 hours into it. So if you want to do the math, um, I'm at like 86 hours into the game inside of a week. So it's, that doesn't mean that it's better than Baldur's Gate. It just clicks the weird part of my brain that likes these types of games really hard. And I actually, I want to, I want to address a little bit of, I, I brought up the stuff with Larry and, and how it's kind of being reviewed favorably with some extra brownie points too. There's a lot of hate for Bethesda right now that's unwarranted. And then there's some hate that is warranted. And I will get into that as well. But a lot of people for a lot of people don't understand I guess what Bethesda games are. Uh, Bethesda games are big open world games that have you collect a bunch of shit. Um, 
and deal with systems upon systems upon systems. Um, they are simulators more than they are storytellers. And a big, a big example of this is the Fallout franchise. I'm a big Fallout fan. I think a lot of people know that at this point. Fallout 76 is still not a great game. It's an okay game. Um, I've wasted a lot of time with it, mostly playing with some friends. But it's the worst Fallout. Almost the worst Fallout. Um, Fallout 4 is a pretty damn good game with some story flaws. And where Bethesda doesn't do a great job is in storytelling. I don't think they're great as storytellers in really... A lot of the stuff they write still comes across like fanfics. And when you look at the quality of writing from something like Baldur's Gate and then getting to Starfield, like there's a pretty big difference in the quality of storytelling and even in some of the voice acting. Um, it's the same kind of like storytelling that you had like in Fallout um, in that there's a lot of radiant storytelling, right? Where you're a character in that world and you kind of come across something and then you have choices around it. Something I like better about this version of a Bethsoft game versus other games is that in this game, you are literally just a guy that's caught in the crossfire of everything. You are not the savior of the world. You are not any of those things. You're just a dude that's surrounded by a lot of stuff and your character does get a lot better over time, but initially your character sucks really bad. Um, and I'm going to actually explain that. So me and Musum, or John, we uh, went and had some fun last night and for a friend of ours' birthday that was in town. And he was talking about Starfriend. I was like, man, everything about my character sucks. <laughs> He's like, I'm just not having fun. He's like, I'm like 10 hours in. I don't even know what I'm doing. He's like, my, my starship, I hate the combat. He's like... Anytime my character's in combat, he just sucks. I was like, well, we'll get, you know, my, our friends, like, we're pretty introverted. Our friend's really introverted. I was like, well, when we get back to your house, we'll, we'll talk about it. Show me where you're at. John doesn't have any skills. He's shooting everybody with his mining laser. Um, and he's in his space chevette, which is what I'm going to call. You get a ship very, in the first 20 minutes of the game, called the Frontier. And it's a space chevette. Um... It has the worst thrusters. It has the worst weapons. It has the worst jump drive. Um, it handles like a, like, it, it handle it handles like, like you put a, an outboard motor on a raft or something, right? And you're in fight. You're in a fight with speedboats. Like it's, it's a fucking whale in the sky, and it just, you just get blown up. Like if you use that thing for combat, like good fucking luck, and. It's a space event. It sucks. And the game does a horrible job of tutorializing literally everything. I'm going to say that off the bat. The game does a trash job of tutorializing what you need to do with that game when it comes to your inventory management, when it comes to what you need to do to make your starship better, what it comes to like how you should focus your character, and when it comes to outpost design and, and how you should follow the story, etc. The game does a super trash job of explaining that. The thing about Starfield is it's like, it's a super jack-of-all-trades game. And you kind of have to specialize your character as to what you want to do. And you kind of need to grind out a little bit of your skills to make the game more enjoyable. And then the way you do that is by grabbing different jobs and doing different things. And 
you should pursue the quest a little bit. I will say, you should request. You should. So in every Bethsoft game, right? There's kind of there's kind of like an aha moment, right? Like an oblivion. You had kind of an aha moment when you figured out what the, where the story's driving you in Skyrim, right? You you got to the dragon priest and you kind of figured out what you were as the dragonborn. You should do the same in Starfield because it makes the game infinitely easier. Um, but the uh, so you should get to your Fuzurada moment in Starfield um, before you just tackle on all the extra side stuff that's not level gated in any way. You can do anything you want, even if it's way harder than you should be. Um, but you're doing yourself a disservice. So I I pointed John extremely early in the game. You get a note that says secret note. And if you read that, it gives you the location of a pirate base. And I will say this, it does provide you with way better armor to get started and a way better ship to get started without spending any money. He literally texted me in the middle of this and he's like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm having so much more fun now. <laughs> um, but there's things about this game when I talk about like what you have to do to specialize. So you pick a class when you start the game that kind of dictates your starting traits Right, so I did kind of like a space scoundrel class, which gave me. I was thinking of my character kind of like Han Solo, right? So he had one in piloting, he had one in pistols, and he had one in persuasion to get started. I was like, this is my kind of character, right? He's going to be a swarthy smuggler type guy that flies the flies the skies and like smuggle shit. Mm -hmm. And then I built into my piloting. Well, just building into your piloting gives you access to better ships and better things that you can install on your ships. And then it also gives the ability to use thrusters. So I was trying to tell John this, too, last night. I was like, look, if you put a few points into this, you're going to be taking your thrusters and spinning your ship around backwards and firing at stuff that's following you and flying backwards like you can in Battlestar Galactica. I was like, but you're, but you're a dummy right now. Your character doesn't know anything. He has no skill. So he's just regular civilian Joe in a spaceship just trying his damnness to fly. So he has no skill with piloting. He can't turn better. He can't tune his engines better. All those points, play, you get, you know, I put points into shielding as a, as a trait, right? My shields regenerate more. I get more shields. Um, my ship is more survivable because I'm investing in piloting my ship and teaching my character to pilot, right? And all of those skills level up based on certain things you do in your ship. So, like, one of mine was targeting. And what targeting is, is like VATS for space. So it lets you target their lasers or their engines or whatever while you're firing. and slows down time for a second so you can target those specific components. So you drop their shields and then you target their engines and get in a position where you can shoot their engines. So from behind or below or above, but not head on. You use your thrusters to power slide around these ships to get behind them, right? And then you fire at their engines and you blow it out. And then you blow out their grav drive so they can't jump. And then you you board them and then you take over the ship. Which means that you're, in some cases, you're in zero G inside the ship floating around firing your lasers and eliminating all the people on the ship. And then you go get in the captain's seat and now that's your ship. Um, and then, you know, your ship magically teleports elsewhere. And I recommend doing that after you mop up everything else because you could have just picked up another space chevette. But um, it's... That's what I mean, like, playing to the way you want to play that game kind of strengthens your character in a way that makes them more powerful or better at what they're doing, right? Like, I put points into persuasion because 
there's a lot of speech checks in the game, and the speech checks play off in that you don't always have to fight something, or you can talk somebody out of something, or you can be a better space space spy, which my character is also a space spy. A space spy. Yeah, so like talking my way out of sticky situations, right? Um, you could be better at stealth, which means that you can steal stuff or also sneak around in air vents, because all the air vents are like as tall as a person in this game. Um, well, that's nice to know. The lockpicking is gated, so like there's a little lockpicking minigame that you have to do. But unlike Fallout and Skyrim, being better at lockpicking actually means that you can go from a basic to an advanced to an expert to a master lock. So me being a, nov a novice lockpicker, I can only pick novice lockpicks. I can't pick an advanced lockpick or an advanced lock. So there's things like that. Like I could put more points into that, but I'm not as concerned about that. I've got there is colored loot, right? Like, you know, the tiered loot system that WoW started so long ago, they do the same thing, right? With orange being the best, purple being second best, blue being third best, and white being awful. But that doesn't always mean that it's better. So I have a character with a bunch of white items, and the, the weapons are tiered as well. So you got a basic weapon, which has no prefix to it. Then you got Calo calibrated, refined, and then I think advanced, or the three above that. If you have an advanced white weapon, that sounds weird. If you have an advanced <laughs> weapon that has no specific classes to it, it can be way better than a orange or an epic normal classed weapon. So, okay. because the power level is so much higher on the weapon. Right? Right. And it's okay for you to pick up if I see something that says advanced, I just pick it up. Um, you can't break down your materials like you can in Fallout for other things, right? It's just like Skyrim where you are, you know, walking around yeah. with 30, like, basic iron swords for no reason. There's no reason to do it. Now, early on in the game, I did that, but the vendors all have a certain amount of credits. And they don't re-up their credit amount until you sleep or wait for a full day, which to me, that was tedious. So I started, I got to a point where I had enough money to keep myself at a certain level. And then I'd buy med packs from things because I ended up running out of med packs fairly often. And then trade in whatever weapons and armor that I didn't want. All that stuff weighs a lot, right? So that's another thing. Like there's a whole crafting minigame in this. And I created a base, a very utilitarian base. I haven't gotten way into outpost design, but I have it automated in a way that I can dump on my shit and it sorts it out by essentially rocks, gas, or liquid or crafted materials. And so I can fast dump all my shit and then it shores these in these warehouses. So I basically got a big warehouse out in the middle of nowhere um, that I store all my shit. And then I craft at that same location because it can pull from all those boxes. But the, the game doesn't tell you any of this. I just watched a video that I actually posted on our secret group that told you how to do this. And I wasn't using it to just mine materials to build more things. I used the same system to store all my shit. And then I stopped picking up every single fucking thing. And then the game got a lot better because I wasn't just managing inventory. I only pick up any kind of colored loot items, right? If it's a blue, a purple, or orange, I just go ahead and pick it up. And if I look at it and compare and it's vastly different or better than what I have currently, then I pick it up. But yeah, I was picking up every fucking plate and fork and med pack and, <laughs> you know piece of beef on the floor, all the, oh the ground food, and I'm weighing myself down and then fat running my way back to my ship 
all the time. And then it took me a long time to get to the point of like, I'm doing this because I have bad habits from fallout. That's the whole reason I'm doing this. I, I should be thinking about this like Skyrim, like just pick up the epic stuff, leave all the arrows on the ground. The Thankfully, ammo doesn't weigh anything. So I always pick up ammo and credits off all enemies. Right. Um, and med packs. So, but yeah, like uh, I also found it's better to focus on a certain system before you move on. Focus on the faction quests. Those are super fun and have really good rewards. Um, and then focus on the main quest till you get to a point where something pretty big happens and then stop doing it and then do everything else, which is the point I'm at right now. And now I'm just actually going kind of system to system, finding all the quests that are in all the little sp spots and doing those. Um, I'm going to say surveying is not real fun. Um, and just go around and scan shit. Um, I don't find it particularly fun, but I didn't find it particularly fun in No Man's Sky. I think if I didn't have an NVMe, the load times would annoy me a lot more. I do not mind that I can just pull up my map and fast travel from where I'm at on any planet straight to a city immediately and then go do the thing and then fast travel immediately without watching a animation of me landing. I know a lot of people were like, well, in No Man's Sky, you can like fly straight to the atmosphere and then go find your spot. And in No Man's Sky, you also have to put a marker there and then fly and then try to land your fucking ship and then go through the and then spend a whole bunch of time on a planet that doesn't give you a lot to do. There's not a lot. There's still. I have tried No Man's Sky three times and have almost 100 hours in it, and it is infinitely better than where it started. It mm -hmm. is solely focused on exploration. But I don't find the combat engaging in any regard with anything, regardless of weapon or not. I don't find the mining all that engaging. I think the building's pretty fun um, and it's varied. Right. But after a while, it's, it, gets, it gets annoying. I don't find the interaction with the NPCs engaging at, in the, at least at oh, all. God, no. um, learning, a word, learning a language one or two words at a time is not engaging. And then just fast travel, like, I understand that it pulls some stuff from the Mang Sky. You've got a mining laser and you scan shit. Um, but it doesn't have like 7,000 things you have to scan to get a planet complete. It's like, okay, there's seven animals here. There's uh, seven trees here you have to scan. And then there's like five rocks you got to scan. The rocks scan once. Depending on your skills, the other stuff scans after a few clicks. Um, and then you're done. So you can finish scanning a planet within... I don't know, 20 minutes versus No Man's Sky. This is what I'm doing today. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So, and there's one thing that's like underground only at night. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or getting lost thing. underground and not being able to dig your way out. Right. Um, you ran out of fuel. Yeah. It's like you don't run into those types of things in this game because it's not focused on that. It's a jack of all trades game. So it's like it has some of that stuff. If you want to, the reason you would scan to look for things is you can sell the scan data, right? And you can go explore worlds. They're, what they do in, in lieu of that is they know that you get a little bit of money for scanning everything and you get a little bit of, there's a certain quest line that deals with scanning stuff with uh, different scientific societies. But What's more fun for that is like going and finding epic loot in random dungeons on planets. So if you want a dungeon delve, you essentially just go to a planet, pick any random spot, land, and then look for markers that look like a ruin. You don't know what I mean once you start doing it. That means there's a spot there. 
And then depending on the level of planets, the level of enemies you have, pick a higher level planet so you know you get good enemies. Go and dungeon grind to get better gear and do it that way. And so it has that going for you, which like you can have two different ways you want to play this game. Like if I'm in podcast mode, that's what I'm going to do. If I'm in story mode, I'm going to go follow some quests. Um, so there's a lot to do in that game. I don't know where I'm at. I think I'm closer to the end of the story at this point, but I'm not closer to the end of the side quest. If that makes any sense. I pause the story to focus on all the other stuff, but I've finished one, two, two, three faction quest lines so far at 80 plus hours into the game and most of the way through the story. And then I just barely touched all the other stuff, but I have upgraded my ship quite a bit. Um, Rail guns are awesome. I'm just going to say that. And uh, boarding ships and fighting in zero G is really fun. And uh, like, though, if you think about it, like dungeon delving, right? Like you fast travel to a planet and you see a space station, you try to hail them and it's nothing but static. Mm-hmm. That means that, well, I think everybody knows this. There's, there's aliens in this game. Right. Um, so you could, and, but you don't run into them until way later in the game. Like you run into aliens on planets, but like aliens, right? Um, complete the motion tracker and everything. Aliens. Aliens. So like scary aliens, you don't run into until later and they're pretty, they're pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like running into the abandoned space stations means, oh yeah, here's a dungeon. I'm going to, I'm going to go delving, right? But you kind of have to set yourself I think to have fun with this game, you're going to get a lot of opportunities to go all over. I think if you say, all right, in the soul area, I'm going to finish soul and then move on. It's mm-hmm. probably the best way to play this game because you can get really scatterbrained really fast. And it is overwhelming as to all the different options. It says you look at your activity log and there's like 900 people you need to talk to. Um, but yeah, like after, after learning the systems, after learning a lot of what's not tutorialized, I've had a lot of fun. I do have issues with the AI. Sometimes the pathing on the AI is bullshit. It'll say follow said person and they'll just be walking into their desk. And they're kind of like attached to you. And I realized that. So I'd walk out of the room and then they'd start moving where they needed to go. The AI is still fucked. Like Bethesda AI is kind of fucked. Oh, that's nice. Um, and then I... I Often I get an additional 15% bonus for sleeping with my space wife. So if I sleep with my space wife, I get 15% bonus, but I don't have a double bed in my ship. So I click it and you get the bonus if you sleep 24 hours, if you sleep one hour. So I sleep one hour to get 15% XP for like almost 30 minutes. And (laughs) my space wife like puts half her body in the bunk and then rotates sideways when I wake up. And it's jarring and disjointed and looks weird and, like, the animation's all fucking off. Um, I don't know if it's a V-Sync issue, but when I talk to people, their lips move and then half a second later everything catches up until the dialogue tree pops up and then everything's caught up. Um, I've had a couple of times where it's um, hard crashed. Um, I'm not having the performance issues that everybody's talking about. I also don't think FSR2 is even working because I see no frame difference when I'm using it or not. I usually sit around 70 FPS at 4K Ultra everything, but I'm also playing on a 4090 with, you know, 24 core CPU. Yeah, you. I had 32 gigs of RAM. Like I'm on I'm on whale specs, so I know that 
if you have normal specs, this is probably unoptimized. I think that uh, Todd Howard saying you just need a better PC <laughs> last week was a faux pas on Todd Howard. I'm not the biggest Todd Howard fan. I think sometimes he's a big douche. But he's, it, it just works. Yeah. Um, also, I don't he's, know if he was trolling or not. I'm not excusing it, but... I, I don't think it would be a good I, time to troll. Yeah, I don't know. Honest. But also a lot of the hate that it's getting is it's actually getting review bombed right now on Metacritic by what I was. So we all, especially because we're big Elite Dangerous fans, used to watch mm -hmm. Adam Ant, right? Mm -hmm. And he was talking about it. He was showing real time as he was refreshing the user score on Metacritic going down. And it's his opinion that a lot of people are PlayStation users that can't play the game that are going in there and giving it a zero out of 10 because it's a Bethesoft game, right? Um, and there's a lot of people you see the gripes of Bethesda bad um, on there that just getting the hate for that. Then I right. say like there are parts of this that are disjointed. I think a tutorialization sucks that I think some of the conversations kind of shallow that I think some of the stories kind of shallow. I think all of those are valid gripes. I think if you go into it realizing that your character is an, an utter chud when he starts, he's just a minor dude, right? that I mean, has to kind of learn how to find his place in the world. And as you get better and do more of those things and you level up those things, you do become better at your job. Um, yeah, play it like you're a chud. You're a dude that knows you are fucking chonk when you get in this game. <laughs> you have no skills. You have no brain. Like, you're you're kind of useless. Um, start doing something and stick with it. I, like I said, if <laughs> if... If Stop you up, it, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, if you uh, if you focus on your starship or your combat skills kind of early on, and get those to a point where you're at least decent, right? You'll do a lot better. Um, if you don't carry every single thing, you'll do a lot better. If you don't focus on out, if you don't focus on doing all the side activities as soon as you get out of the intro of the game, you'll do a lot better. You'll do a lot better if you at least figure out what the Constellation Society is all about. And at least get to your Fuzrodha moment. You get to your Fuzrodha moment, you can stop. You've gotten far enough to advance enough things to do all the other things. Um, so far, probably about a four and a quarter game, but it also scratches an itch that no other game does. There's literally no other game that does what Bethesda does, right? Or does it very well. Um, it's, it's unique in that. And because there's nothing else like it, like, I like that kind of game. Um... It's not, it's not elite dangerous though. No, that's it's the thing, and that's and a lot of people are just. I think that's where a lot of the hate is coming from. What a part um, about elite right now would be better than Starfield? I don't, you know, uh, you know, honestly, if you if you critically look at what elite is, it kind of drops you into a fucking universe with zero tutorialization, and just expects you to uh, you know, to figure that shit out. You uh, so let's compare it. Let's talk about space games, right? So Elite yeah. was good for us for a yeah. long time. Elite is huge grind, right? Yeah, it's a very big grind. Yeah, this has that level of grind, but less space semi. So you don't have. I think, I think that you can do a lot of the same things you can do with Elite in Starfield. The spaceship piloting is not nearly as good. I. That's it's amazing and elite, but also it takes a really long time to get good at it because it's it's simulated to a ridiculous degree, right? Like it's so 
well-tuned with physics that it feels like you're flying a spaceship with a Xbox controller. Yeah, and yeah. and that takes a long time to get pretty good at. And there's enough, like, there's enough guardrails on Starfield to make it arcadey enough that it doesn't take you piloting for 20 hours to even feel competent in a dogfight to feel competent in a dogfight. Mm-hmm. Um, in Elite, you can just go and, like, shoot lasers at asteroids to get money to get better ships. Yes. You can also do the same thing in this. If you want to be a miner, you could absolutely do that. You could go create an outpost, or you can blow up asteroids. You just fast travel to any planet that has asteroids, and then you blow up asteroids, and you get a whole bunch of iron and shit. Um, you could do all of those things in Starfield. It just it kind of highlights how boring that activity actually is. Um, <laughs> it really is. It's not very engaging. No, like I ended up just hunting Thargoids for a while, and then I realized how fucking hard the Thargoids were and how long it took you to beat a Thargoid unless you had a really elite ship. And then all the different things, that all the different materials I'd have to find in order to get the uh, the amazingly calibrated weapons to be even effective at Thargoids. And because mm-hmm. there's so much real travel in Elite, let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. It's real-time super cruise travel takes – that was the majority of my time. I was a space trucker making money to get a space starfighter. I was a space explorer. All of my gameplay was that. And that was it. you were literally warping system to system over and over yeah. and over again. And then you do spend hours in super cruise looking at a black screen. Yeah. Um, well, you know, at least several minutes in between every planet just flying in black. Until you start to see planets. Now, there is a, I love the fact that that stuff grows inside size and you can eventually fly and land on that stuff. And that, all, that part's all really neat. That's a very sim-based game. And it's engaging in that activity of you feeling like you're an actual explorer. Starfield's an RPG. Right. Um, okay. It, it picks up on some of that system and lets you shoot pew-pews out in space. But... It does load in real chunks of the planet, so everything's already rendered. It's just, I think there's a limit on the engine on how much area can render at a time, and then they yeah. they make you pick up your shit and then land elsewhere. But I, you have to travel a considerable difference distance to run into a wall, and there would be no reason to do that because they'll put landmarks in your vicinity that you can look at. So you use your visor, right, and then it'll show you what's interesting around you. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's within a thousand meters, right? And then I've gotten stuff that's like another thousand meters past that and then another thousand meters past that. At a certain point, I don't want to run across a rock for that long. And so I'll just right. pick up and drop down in another spot and do the same thing all over again if that's what I'm doing. If I'm just dungeon grinding, essentially, that's what I'll do. Um, but again, like the people talking about Elite and Elite's a sim game. And uh, No Man's Sky is a weird sim game, too. And they're kind of a lot different. There's a lot more to do in Starfield is kind of what I'm getting at. There's there's no vo- there's one voice character in all of No Man's Sky, right? In Elite Dangerous, you get a fuckload of generic NPCs that give you a fuckload of generic fetch quests, essentially, right? Go deliver this. We need this kind of, like, cargo thing here. You do real jobs in Elite Dangerous, right? We've got these uh, space pirates out here. Go kill the space pirates. Get the bounty, right? Right. Um, Go to this area and fix this base. Like, I am, like, just disseminating it into its basic parts, but that's what you're doing with Elite Dangerous, right? It does happen to be engaging. They fucked up all the VR support, which is why I'm mad at that game. There are parts of Elite. We have, like, a year's worth of time that we've put into Elite. 
I like that game. It is very, it's a very different experience than what you're getting from Starfield. Again, Starfield's an RPG where you could spend all of your time on a single planet doing stuff for all the different NPCs. You can pick up a random, random mission all the time. You can pick up passenger missions if you want. I've got a luxury liner in my lineup right now that I hijacked um, successfully. Um, so I have a luxury liner that is now mine that I have registered um, that I hijacked that's my passenger liner um, that carries a big, a big amount of crew and a huge amount of passengers. Right, that is something that you can do. Um, I've got bounty hunting missions, right, where I go to the thing, shoot dude, and come back, or blow up spaceship, or you know, pick up his spaceship, or get the loot that's on his spaceship, which means disabling the ship, then docking with it, and then getting the things. Right, um, all of those jobs are in Starfield. I actually haven't. I've been engaging in the quests that are not just jobs. For the most part, and I've got a lot of the jobs left over. I haven't decided what, which one of those seems the most engaging for me to play because I've been kind of doing the thing where I make my own fun and just like, I'm going to survey this planet. Also, I'm going to go explore a couple of points of interest while I'm surveying this planet and, uh, you know, um, go see if there's any good loot in these places. And I found some really cool things. Like there's a weird thing covered with space slugs out in the middle of the frozen waste that was very thing, you know, like, uh, the thing from the 70s. Right. Um, found a frozen over space base that was very much themed after the thing, um, where everything was like hurt by fire and everything else. Like it was really neat. Um, I was throwing out mines everywhere. And I really like that I enhanced my boost pack skill. So essentially, on a low G planet, I just fly all over this thing. Um, there's a lot of valid criticism about the game. There's also nothing like it at all. At all. There's nothing, there's literally nothing. There's no space game out there like this. Um, Elite's not that space game. No Man's Sky isn't that space game. It's unfair to call it Fallout in space because Fallout, I'd be picking up every desk fan. I found out that was a bad idea. Because um, <laughs> no. I want screws, right? Because I need to build. There's no changing out your receiver. You can add an amplifier to make weapons more dangerous, but. Honestly, you're just going to come out overloaded and then coming up with a whole system to manage your inventory, which I spent like half a day figuring out until I came with a good system of don't pick up everything. Pick up the, you know, items that are either super powerful or colored loot so you can sell it. But also know that just about every vendor except with a handful only carry 5,000 credits and half these guns are like because I have a really high buy sell skill. Most of my guns are like one sale and then I'm done with that vendor and there's only like five vendors a planet. So I could go hit up every single one of those vendors and then sleep multiple times or travel across the galaxy or only pick up decent stuff. And instead of spending all that time selling all my shit, just go do quests and make money quickly and then pick up all the money off all the dead characters that I kill, um, which is I've got a ridiculous amount of money. I never drop below two million at this point, um, and you start off with nothing, and your first ship costing like a hundred thousand dollars. If you want to buy a ship and upgrade, well, I got a bunch of free ships, so I never needed to buy a ship. I did buy one just because I was curious. Like I've been contemplating buying a battleship at this point, but I don't have the skill to pilot it yet. Um, and the battleship's like five hundred thousand, so I could buy four battleships now um, from this strategy. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, Starfield still, I think at a certain point, I think it'll get better. Bethesda's is, if this was in this state a year later, I can't imagine what state it was at last year. They'd have fucking sunk their company 
if it was at a, if it was like two times worse than it is right now with the bugs, they'd have never survived, especially with that Redfall release. But it is really mm-hmm. popular to hate on Bethesda right now, um, especially the like. There's a lot of unfair criticism. Part of it too, and I'm going to say this comes from the fact that you have they have a weird policy on release, releasing review copies, and they don't give it to the biggest loudmouth publications early. So a long time ago, Bethesda stopped giving Gotaku early copies. And if you know anything, I'm going to talk trash on another company because I think they're a trash company. Kotaku is part of Jezebel, which is part of, I can't remember what else, but they're a fucking rumor site. And they pretty much hate Bethesda. They pretty, because Bethesda just doesn't give them shit anymore. And all they've been doing is writing hit pieces back to back about Starfield and why it sucks. So they also decided to stop giving PC Gamer an early release copy. PC Gamer released their like, and IGN both released like their early 7 out of 10 scores, right? And then after Metacritic is showing them at like an 88, start talking talking the game up again, right? So you're, it's weird how it's being reviewed. To be fair, like I said, my score is probably four and a quarter. And if a lot of these issues got addressed and fixed, I think if they figured out weight and gave vendors more credits, right? If vendors had like 20,000 credits instead of 5,000 credits to start, you could sell a lot more shit at the vendors and save you all of the hassle of traveling all over the place, I think that would fix the game a lot. Um, and I think if they had... If there's a little bit more consequence to your choices, I think that would help it out a lot, too. Um, the characters still look kind of wooden. Um, but again, there's literally no space sandbox like this. There are no sandbox games like this. Like, let's not talk about Ubi sandbox games, because they're not. Right? The Assassin's Creed games are not sandbox games. Um, neither are the Far Cry games. They're, they're, it's not even Watch Dogs is not the same. The activities in Watch Dogs are boring as fuck. And a lot of these other companies that have like open world things to do, it suck. The open world stuff in this is much in the same of something like an Elite or a Star Citizen or a No Man's Sky where you have something you can go do for money that ends up putting you in the way of doing something more fun. You you make it. You make the... Uh... Uh, it's not pointed out to you. You kind of go make it, uh, make it happen. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. So it's not a contender. It's not going to be my game of the year. But I can see myself losing another hundred hours in this single playthrough. So with that, do we want to take a break? Yes, please. Yeah. All right, y'all. We'll be back. And we're back. We uh, maybe actually covered some of the new stuff and I was talking about the kind of the hit piece stuff I've been seeing on Bethesda lately. Doesn't completely excuse them on some things, but it gave me an idea of how to get enjoyment out of the three biggest games to come out of the last few months. Um, And so I was going to let Jason and Rusty kind of lead off into Baldur's Gate. If you're just getting into the game or maybe midway through the game, what are some things you wish you'd have known going into that game that help your 
that streamline your experience a little bit? Uh, well, <laughs> let me see. Uh, the first thing I would say is uh, uh, about maybe an hour or so into the game, you have the opportunity to unlock a character that can uh, that can allow you to respec and give you a, a give you cheaper an, a cheaper option to uh, to resurrect your you know, your fallen uh, companions um, it has to do with a crypt I highly suggest doing that because um, yeah it's it's kind of a thing I didn't you realize he, want to... he resurrects people yeah you, I didn't, you can I... resurrect people I only use like four resurrection skulls the whole game. So yeah, you can resurrect people. You can uh, create hirelings, which are basically just um, you know user created companions. So that's how the you know that's how the the YouTube videos of uh, four gnomes happen. It's those are hireling. Gotcha. Um, and uh, let's see if. It's one of those things that can be completely skippable if you, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily point you in that direction. You, you kind of get led to the door and you have to kind of uh, you figure that shit out for yourself. Um, so while not completely missable, will definitely help you. Um, I, uh, it allows you to, uh, to also respec the named characters as well. So if you don't like the way that, you know, something was rolled, like for, you know, for instance, Asteria and I uh, changed him from just a straight rogue to a rogue uh, ranger, and that helped out quite a bit. Yeah, I changed him to a thief rogue for the uh, extra action. to an assassin, uh, an ass a ranged assassin rogue for me, so he's all ranged. Um, I, I uh, will ranged say... Ranged and ranged support. They spec him weird too because he's a I can't remember the class, but like he's a rogue with cantrips and so he's got points in intelligence that he doesn't really need as a rogue. Right. So you can drop all that and bump us bump up his dexterity. Yep. And then roll him straight rogue and he's way more effective. Yep. My uh my character started out as a you know, dragonborn druid, and then I realized that that really sucked. Uh especially early on. Um so I decided just to go Paladin, which is just a, a shinier version of uh, uh, of a uh, of a fighter with um, with moral rules, um, and <laughs> that's a uh, that's kind of that's kind of how I did that thing. But yeah, he's a it is a character that you can uh, that you can get, and you can technically miss if you don't look. I would say I didn't know until forty hours in the game that you could just move all of your camp supplies into your camp stash where you use it anyway. So as I picked up shit every now and then I'd look at my camp supplies by hitting tab and look at everybody's shit and then move that stuff over to my camp. And then not knowing that you could sort all of your inventory for all four characters at the same time from the tab screen. Yeah. Uh, um, when you're pulling up everything, I don't know what it is on a controller, but when you open up all everybody's inventory, being able to sort it that way and move stuff around, and then the fact that you can use potions in anybody's inventory, no matter how far away they are. So you can just have somebody be the potion mule, which helped me sort my inventory better as well. Uh, that 
that is the one thing I'm going to say really um, I wish I'd realized earlier on was the ability to use stuff out of other people's inventory. Um, it doesn't just apply to potions. It applies to scrolls, too. Well, um, I was going to say, like, it also doesn't cast an act cause in other CRPGs, opening your inventory casts an action. And so it doesn't cost any actions to do that mid-combat like it does in other CRPGs. Yep. Yeah. I'm going um, to augment that, though, by saying there's pouches that you can pick up in the game. Keep some pouches. And then, you know, use those pouches to uh, to house all of your, um, you know, all of your potions and scrolls. And arrows. And arrows and whatnot. Anything that just basically is a bunch of clutter items that you, know, you use, you can add those bags to your uh, to your hotbar and open them in combat and be able to use them. You know, it just basically contains the chaos that would be your inventory. That's my thing, Jason. Uh. I'm trying to think. I I mean, I hit I hit a lot of things that um I feel like a lot of people may may or may or may not have missed cuz it's fairly easy to do so like the crypt I unintentionally hit very early um and fairly low level so I had to save save scum that quite a bit. Um, I would say do not, when you're going to go into a fairly big fight, don't discount being able to hire help. Um, it can be fair, fairly useful. Um, also, uh, you know, just the... Um, I would say spend money on weapons I wasted way too much money on weapons early in game you find enough uh, instead of trying to strategize around it and, and um, not every class is weapon bound too like your casters like the weapon is a stat stick most of the time like you're not gonna doesn't matter what your bashing skill is with your staff. Like it's better to just see if it augments your abilities or not, or gives you like, you know, restores one spell slot before rest, which is pretty fucking handy. Um, I would say don't min max your characters all the time. Like you can spend a lot of time listening to somebody theorycraft over min max builds. I think because it's really cheap to respec like a hundred gold. It's yeah it's nice to just experiment with something for a while and see if it's working. And if it's not go back to the NPC that respects you for a hundred gold, which by the end I was, and I didn't realize it weighed so much. I had 50,000 gold. So I didn't realize that that was 50 pounds of gold on my character. <laughs> the whole final act, I barely bought anything. And so all my gold was sitting in my chest at home in my bank because it weighed so much. Um, I, I don't have that much. I don't have that much because I keep buying scrolls. Um, that's one of my, that's another one of those things. 
if you are even if you have a dedicated spellcaster in your group don't discount the power of scrolls holy fuck has that pulled me out of the fire um oh yeah the scroll of polymorph's pretty fucking powerful yeah or you know for me there was <laughs> there was a, a particularly difficult fight with uh you know with some enemies that I knew had basically no loot to them whatsoever and all I did was I just you know I cast uh uh telekinesis which is a a later scroll that you can get and it basically allows you to pick some uh pick up a character and throw them well I was picking them up and throwing them off a fucking ledge <laughs> like and yeet you don't need to be here anymore. <laughs> yeah, having so, th- Thunder Wave is a really powerful s- tool, too. There's a couple of fairly difficult fights, or would be difficult, if the fact that you're not fighting on a DS that's just a circle with a big ledge on all sides and getting your characters in the middle just meant that I could just sh- yeet ads off the ledge while I fought the boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, use gravity, man. Also, don't discount so um, the ability to actually just ungroup one character uh, from the party for actions instead of uh, ungrouping the entire party. Um, You're splitting I had group, huh? I had gone through the and failed. Um, killing all of the goblin leaders several times before I realized that I could literally hold Asterion back by himself, let the rest of the group go in, start the fucking combat, uh, and then bring him in like a couple turns in and just start sneak attacking shit. Um, it's a powerful tactic it, if you've got a rogue. It's a powerful tactic if you've got a rogue. Yeah, and just turn-based in general, like there's a lot of like weirdly timed puzzle encounters that become a lot easier with using um, turn-based mode. Yep. So you can give your character like a, a cast haste or give them a haste potion, right? And they can get through an encounter faster. And then you know kind of what's going to happen and how far you can get in a turn. Um, or if you have like buffs that last a certain amount of turns, like those become a lot better because you're min-maxing the amount of distance and the direction your character is going so you can sneak around things or get out of things line of sight perfectly, even with a whole group um, in turn-based mode. Which there are so, several encounters, even in the first act that are designed around using that specific tactic yep so there's another another thing that uh kind of uh goes with the stack of potions that nobody uses you know because there's a bunch of shit that you know just like fills up your inventory right uh there should be there's one that uh that is consistently slept on unless you understand how it works uh and that is the potion of speed if you use the potion of speed at the beginning of a turn-based combat, so you're already in turn-based, it's a bonus action to use a potion. So what potion of speed does is it gives you 
more movement speed, and it also gives you an additional action point. So you can cast two spells, or attack twice, or do a number of different actions in you know in, or in an additional action. Or if you're a barbarian, like attack something twelve times. <laughs> right. So you you end up having a bunch of extra actions that you can do in a turn. It lasts for ten turns, and the big downside is you become lethargic at the end of it. Okay. Most combats are over before ten turns is up. Yeah, I there are some of the big boss fights that I fought that are story bosses. I used those potions and we're ending them in. So like the end of act one destroyed that boss in three turns using right. speed. Right. You use those speed, uh, especially with this, you know, with the additional action that you get, you can definitely nuke through a boss encounter or even a really tough encounter. It's like doubling your, uh, your party size, especially early on. Um, because before level five, you don't have a second attack. Yeah, um, there's something I didn't realize till way late in the game, and fortunately I figured it out at a very crucial moment. If you run across something that explodes in the ground, because there are landmines in this game, um, you can pick them up and throw them. Oh, God. I didn't even know that. Um, I ended, yeah, a, I ended a boss encounter in two turns. Because it was a boss encounter that involved mines, and I triggered a mine, and I was like, can I pick it up? Is it going to explode? It's just experimenting, right? And then I hit th the throw action and highlighted it, and apparently I could pick it up and throw it. So then I just threw the mines that I was triggering and blew up all of the ads plus the boss with mines. <laughs> Everybody just threw mines. That's all I did that whole encounter and ended it in like two turns. So I had haste potions on everybody. And so they're just throwing all the traps that they're triggering, which is hilarious. That's amazing. Your, uh, you can also, um, like some so of the traps you can actually pick up and add into your inventory. So there's been, there was one fight. I actually had a Styrian go through and actually sneak and set traps like just outside that area then aggro the boss and adds and pull them into the traps. Yeah, you, if you have a real strong character like a fighter, you can take the flaming barrels that are sitting next to you ready to explode and just chuck them at the boss and then cast fire or, you know, shoot a fire or whatever or throw a candle. You can throw a candle um, at that stuff and blow it up. Um, you can use the environment to your advantage a lot in those situations, like blood freezes. There there are hundreds of ways that you can um, handle this game. The The environment's a force multiplier that not everybody takes a lot of advantage of. Yeah, it definitely. Like, that's, that's like a, shooting down chandeliers. Oh, they, God, yes. They take blunt damage plus fire damage. Um, and then if you cast, I can't, I think it's Toxic Cloud. It's one of the clouds that you can cast. You can turn it into a huge nuclear explosion. Um, so you cast like, I think it's, maybe it's poison cloud. I can't remember, but I'd have to look at it again. But one of my, my, my warlock had like a poison cloud. And so I cast like the poison cloud and then knock a chandelier into that. And then just decimated a whole room to like half hit points with one 
action essentially or two actions right but like setting up and doing stuff like casting water on the ground like making it rain and then casting ice so everybody slips right or casting sleet storm um so that everything has an area of denial um for the battlefield so that you have the opportunity to take more strategic action means you got to do a lot more range combat, but it also means you can put two melee fighters in a, in a narrow area, cast Sleet Storm or Ice Storm on an area, and then everybody has to do a saving throw as they go across the ice and not slip. And then your melee fighters hold it down and use their bows or whatever or bombs or whatnot while your range caster or ranger or whatever just snipes out individual targets. That's the other thing, like focus down targets. Don't leave a whole bunch of... A whole room at half health is essentially a whole room at full health, yep. right? So the more deaths you can affect in a single turn is a force multiplier on its own. Like you might have a really powerful boss, right? And you maybe engage that with one character that can take the hits, essentially tank that boss and take down from weakest to strongest all across the room. Also, any character that casts Necrotic Ray at you, make sure you take them out first. If you can, because Necrotic Ray keeps you from healing for a whole turn. So if you have, if you're fighting an area with characters that cast that, um, it can fuck your party up. Same thing if you have a character that's casting Silence. Um, getting somebody in position to just take that person out as quickly as possible is a big thing. Because your wizards can't do shit other than throw shit when they, they can't cast spells. Or druids or, you know, any other caster, right? Like, even casting it on your cleric or paladin is a big deal because you have so many spell-based abilities. Yep. There's uh, <clears throat> one, other, you know, one other thing. Is, uh, on the topic of spellcasters, um, one of the things that, uh, that I'd been experimenting with is, you know, you know, just pulling in some of the characters that I don't normally play with, especially right where I'm at right now. Um, so leveling up you know you know leveling up gale uh uh which is you know a wizard uh, basically messing messing around with his uh uh his ability to uh eat scrolls and poop out spells right mm -hmm. um well one of the things that i found very useful for gale is just having him be a counterspell turret mm -hmm. um if if you bring him in and you know just use him for you know just the ability to uh to lock shit down and then keep his higher level spell slots open and have counter spell uh learned you just uh one per you know one spell per turn you can stop and that could be anything but there was a particularly difficult fight where the you know the uh, the enemy was uh, casting disintegrate, which fucking like destroys, right? Well, he could counterspell that, and that was eighty to a hundred damage that I prevented, and it's just it's overpowered, fucking good. Yeah, it's a huge. You use him as a utility caster, and what I mean by that is use him to CC areas, use him to counterspell. Um use him to create areas of denial. Don't necessarily rely on him for just damage. Use the rest of your party for damage. He controls the whole area. Same thing with um, the warlock you get, and you get him pretty early on, but I don't want to say his name. But you get a warlock, and he's got 
not a whole lot of casts, but he always casts them at higher levels. So he's got two, uh, I think up to three casts at max level, the high level spell, right? So for him, it's always a level five, I think, or level six. And there's a spell he casts called Arms of, is it Cloud of Hater or something like that? I can't remember exactly what it is. But it blinds and electrocutes and stuns all character movement in that cloud. And you can cast it and then just have him cast Eldritch, Bl- Eldritch Blast over and over and knock shit back into the cloud. <laughs> yes. Or use him to, because he gets, at max level, he gets three shots of Eldritch Blast, which you can use to just pew pew people off ledges. Yes. So the power of the blast in itself is not high, but setting it up so that it also has knockback is really powerful and that you can knock shit into other things or knock them off ledges, etc. You don't get the loot if you knock them into an abyss. But when you're talking about a basic add in a fight, like, yeah, you lost out on some loot, but the best stuff's usually on the boss anyway. You lost out on selling some, you know, decent level plate armor or something. Right. That you'll never wear. But this just goes to show you there's a lot to this game. And I don't even, we don't, I don't, I think we did a pretty good job of not spoiling it by just kind of providing these tips because I think these are all really important to getting yourself in a place where the game is even more enjoyable than it already is because it's a little bit overwhelming. And if you don't know anything about D&D or CRPGs, like it can be kind of daunting. Yeah. Um, to that same effect, I'm just going to briefly talk about a couple of other games we've been talking about. I'll talk about Armored Core as is something I learned pretty early on. Um, some things that are not immediately obvious. Um, it gives you tutorial levels, and those tutorial levels unlock additional equipment that you can just use right off the bat or sell for something else. So every time that you unlock tutorial levels, just do it because you're going to get something from it, whether it be money or another weapon to put on your mech. Um, the other thing is that you can replay missions infinitely. So if you've got a mission that only takes you five minutes, but nets you like a hundred thousand credits, like it's really good to do that mission over and over and over again. If your gear is not where you want it, um, it'll also checkpoint you right before boss fights. There's no safes coming, but like it'll checkpoint you. So if you can get yourself, you're having a hard time with a level and you want to beat a boss. Cause there's a few that it took me a couple hours to beat, honestly. Um, it is okay to get yourself to a spot where you're checkpointed right before the boss because you'll start off with full repair kits, um, which is how you heal in this. This is basically your Estus flask or your heal potion, right? But it'll start you off with full health and full repair kits and full ammo right before the boss where it checkpointed you. So make sure that you uh, don't sleep on that at all. Um... The other thing I would say about that game is it'll give you the option to unlock arenas. And when you do that, that gives you extra points to invest in passive perks for your pilot. So anytime you get arenas unlocked, then just go ahead and do them all. It'll make a difference. Treat. Um, I've talked about most of... Uh, most of Starfield stuff, but the big tip I would say is get to your Fuzro Dao moment so you know what the story's about and what following the main quest unlocks. And I would say 
don't fuck, focus on what rarity tier the loot is. Focus on what stats it has. It's not worth holding on to a low tier helmet that only gives you 64 armor when you can get a, a basic roll item of the same thing at 144 armor. And just because it doesn't give you better O2 or better carry capacity doesn't mean that it's better, not better in combat. Um, pay attention to your atmospheres. So, and if you don't, what I mean by that is like you have four resistances on every armor. So you have thermal resistance, you have, I think, O2, you have uh, radiation resistance, and then like atmosphere resistance. And all those things are important because, for example, I was doing a real hard mission right before I got on the show today. I was in a really icy world and my character didn't have any good, didn't have good thermal resistance. So my character got frostbite, which then turned into pneumonia, which then turned into my character only being able to walk. And then my character coughing so that he never had enough oxygen, which meant that my sprint was completely disabled with this character. I had oh, to geez. boost back around and I was fighting very difficult things in this area and just chomping through med packs because I just wasn't kitted appropriately for this area. And it was a big faction quest moment in this icy world. And I was just getting, my character was essentially dying and I was always in pain. So I was just ticking down health all the time. Didn't matter what I was doing. I'm just ticking down health. And if I'd have paid attention to it, it was a negative 200 degrees on this planet. I would have picked warmer gear, um, your undergarments. So you have like your not spacesuit, right? Like your flight suit or whatever. Right. Or I finally went back to that to go do some other things in that area. And then I clipped him with a garment that gave him like plus 20 on his thermal resistance. His basically his thermal underwear, right? And mm -hmm. I found a spacesuit that wasn't as good, but also gave me plus 30. And then a helmet that gave me like plus 20. And then a, a backpack that gave me like plus 20. And then I didn't have to champ, chomp through so many fucking antibiotics and shit to make sure I didn't get hypothermia. I still had to go through those health kit items as I was on this world because it's really fucking hostile. And it's still really hard with all the crazy enemies that are on this world. But, like, at least I wasn't in a space where I was, like, fucking just barely making it the entire way. Like, the cough is bad enough that if you're trying to stealth, if you've got hypothermia, you're kind of cough and then people will hear you. Oh, and, and they'll come looking for you. You'll see your oxygen go down. You hear your guy cough. And then people are like, what was that? I think somebody's trying to infiltrate this area. Blah, blah, blah. You get all the NPC chatter, right? And then okay. everything's on high alert because you're sitting there coughing because you're, you got hypothermia. Um, so that was something I wish I'd have known. I wish I'd have known going through the area that the uh, – all the different galaxies are level gated, not level gated. They're leveled right at a certain level. Mm -hmm. So like Seoul, which is the area around Earth, right? Our galaxy is like level one. So the max level characters I've seen here for the most part are like up to level 15 as an elite. My character is level 44. So like I one shot all these guys. I barely get any XP. All the items that I get suck. Um, it's, it's not worth it. Right. Like, so like I'm just finishing up the quest in this area and I'm getting decent quest XP and decent money, but I should have just finished this area while I was here instead of waiting until way later. It's kind of like I, I went back to, uh, 
it's like when you're in World of Warcraft and you're like, oh, yeah, there's all these quests to mess in a certain area and you go back and like everything's super low level and gives you barely any XP and barely any money. That's what's happening to me right now. You're you're killing your boars, man. Yeah, I'm killing boars. So like it would be better for of me to have like paid attention to that. But again, Starfield does a horrible job of tutorialization. So I'm finding this out 80 hours into the game um, that this is how I would have done it differently. Um, there is a new game. There's a new game plus for the game. The only advantage of new game plus is you get to keep your stat point a lot allotments. You keep your level. You lose all of your quest progress. You lose all of. I, I did look at this. Like what? What? Why would you do this? Mm-hmm. The only reason to do it is you just keep your level. You're going to lose all of your shit. You're going to lose all of your levels, or not your levels, all of your quest progress. Um, all of your ships, everything. You're just going to keep your stat point. So like if you're at a point in the story where you want to go back through it, that's when you do it because then you could level everything else up. Uh, apparently there's no level cap and honestly it's pretty easy to level. So I might do that or I might, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, you can, can't, you can change the way your character looks at a clinic at any point. You just can't, you, I think you can even change your name. So like, it's not really worth starting over over. It's better to just play through the game and then start over with the character you had because now you at least have the progress of stat points. Right. But that's the only reason to do new game plus. Okay. So surprised. Like it really should have been like something, you know, something better. Uh, I think you get a couple of items that you take with you. I don't know. I'll let you guys know. I feel like I'll actually have, achieve that in the next two weeks that's how again as somebody who has a lot of legitimate gripes about the game nothing else scratches the itch which is why i'm playing it so much Mm -hmm. and i've put this many hours into it in a week and a half not even a week and a half i mean that's that's an achievement i'll tell you Uh, that you know getting that much time into it i'm not sleeping again well (laughs) I'd love to actually get to it, but I told myself I was going to finish Baldur's Gate. I did, too. Uh, I so finished Baldur's Gate two hours before Starfield launch. I, you had a week on me because <laughs> you got a little bit of... You, you got to play it a little bit, but I was on vacation, you know? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't yeah. play it much while you are here. I think I got five no. hours in. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'll stop. But, yeah, I'm. you know, it's it's the next game. I think... That's the next game I'm going to be playing. I'm going to, you know, like, I guess both of these games will uh, will exist, right? But I think Starfield is the one that, it, you know, that's going to get talked about more. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and play that one next and play Armored Core, you know, when I get around to it. It's st- um, Starfield's kind of got the controversy around it, but the legitimate gripe is like, if you come off of Baldur's Gate with a story that's in Baldur's Gate and the interaction you have with the NPCs and you go to Starfield, like you went from like going to that premium pizza place in town that costs like $40 a pie. That's ridiculous to having mm-hmm. like Mazios as far as the story goes. Like it's, 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 you're going from something that's a fucking masterpiece to a fan fanfic writing. Like it's that big a difference in yeah, writing quality. Me. For me, I guess it's it's less the writing quality and more about you know the features of of Starfield because you know the star the features of Starfield had been talked about and you know dare I say hyped up over a period of time 
Yeah, the um, ship building's fun. Um, but it, it is gated behind you having like a, uh, I think it's like Starship Architect or something like that. Like initially you don't have enough levels in a in that stat to go beyond a certain basic level of item. And I guess a tip that I should give you is you can you can't fly fly a class B ships until you unlock that with your piloting skill, right? Which gives you option better options than what you have. Um, but you can take your basic ships and add a class B reactor to it and now mm -hmm. equip class B components to it. And the benefit of the Class B reactor is you have more power to put into those systems so that you have better items. Um, you also have to do a lot of power manipulation around in fighting. Like, again, watch my friend John, who, again, it doesn't tutorialize anything, so he didn't know any better. Like, had all of his power points in, gra in his grab drive. I was like, why are you doing that? He's like, it makes me jump faster. He's like, you're also, like, moving a lot slower because you have no power in your sh in your drive, like in your engines. And you have no power allocated to your lasers or your guns, so, like, you can't even fire right now. I was like, put one point in grab unless you know that you're going to have to jump out of every situation and then balance it out amongst all the other things. It's set to a, in a place where, like, I max out shields, I don't max out engines in a fight because you actually do better with about medium power in engines and at medium level in your thrust so that you can maneuver you have thrusters like that makes a huge difference and it's better to have a shitload of power to your fucking guns so you have a really long amount of time that you can fire at something and that's something i kind of learned from elite you know elite has the right. power designation system too so yep. and wing commander had that as well like it's a carryover from wing commander like 25 years ago um but yeah yeah, we didn't have a lot of news, so we went and decided to talk about things that we ought to you ought to do before you enjoy these games. Yeah. Um, and don't compare the story in Baldur's Gate to Starfield because it'll fall flat on its face. Um, Baldur's Gate's the clear winner as far as what's the better game, but it's very apples and oranges. They're both RPGs, but Starfield's more of a sim RPG, whereas Baldur's Gate is a story based RPG. You're just you know some space yokel in Starfield. Baldur's Gate, you're the savior of the world, but, you know, classic RPG sense. Right. Um, and also, the writing chops is a lot better. Indeed. That being said, Jason, where can you find us? Find us at TiltCast.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.com slash TiltCast. Our YouTube channel is YouTube.com slash RealTiltCast and search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe. Find friends of the show for the love of gaming. You've got bmfcast.com. Um, you've got Picking Up the Pixels or Pupcast with our friend John Musum, as well as Boston. And tvgp.tv. They also play lots and lots and lots of RPGs. And with that, it's the end of the show. All right. Peace.